Likely series, and today we get a guest speaker who will share with us about another unlikely hero named Daniel. This friend of ours is actually a pastor, campus pastor in Coeur d'Alene. Since 2001, he ministers there with his wife Lisa and his four kids, and he's with Real Life Ministries in Coeur d'Alene. And I just heard him for the nine o'clock service. I'm excited to have you guys have an opportunity to hear from him as well. Let's give a warm North Shore welcome to Pat Lassard. If you need a Bible, our ushers will go ahead and bring one to you. Just raise your hand and they'll be glad to bring one to you right now. As we do get to spend some time in God's Word today looking at the book of Daniel. If you're eager to turn there, you can do so. Otherwise, I'll uh, lead you to that uh, in a moment. Uh, my family is here, uh, the majority of them, from the left to the right, my son Owen, my daughter Maggie, my lovely wife Lisa, myself, my oldest son Connor, and then Eli on the right. And with Maggie and Eli, I have a little bit of a story later, so that's who they are as I share that story. The uh, Coeur d'Alene, how many of you have been into Coeur d'Alene? A lot of people have been to Coeur d'Alene. There's a reason people go there. It's a vacation destination. It's gorgeous. It is a lovely community. It's about half the size of Everett, and, uh, and there's a reason people go there. Somewhere in the middle there is our church, Real Life Ministries Coeur d'Alene Campus. Uh, we are operating out of a 100-year-old church building. It is unlikely that anything good would still come out of that very tired building. But God is still at work doing good work. And so, uh, so here I am uh, getting the opportunity to be able to share on this series. And it was actually planting the Real Life Ministries Coeur d'Alene campus uh, seven and a half years ago. I was a part of a team that was sent out from our larger campus, the Post Falls campus, to go and plant the church. And my part on the team was to start the recovery ministry. I uh, have had a, a history that I've needed to recover from, and God used recovery to help me find healing and hope and strength and overcoming things that bound me for a long time. And, uh, and so God called me in to minister to others through that capacity as well. So when it came to planting our campus, I was praying, God, however, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use me the most in 
being a, a benefit to the team as well as ministering to Coeur d'Alene, the community, and, uh, and doing what you'd want me to do. And it was in that time that I believed that getting, going back to school and getting my license to become a licensed drug and alcohol counselor was the best approach. And uh, I thought, man, that, that will be a great way to serve the team and serve the community. And it was in that time, just in my own personal devotions to the Lord, that I read Acts 4.13, which says, uh, Peter and John were before the religious leaders, and they were astonished that these guys were just unschooled, ordinary men. But what they noticed that was different about them is they had evidently been with Jesus. And that really resonated with me. That really stood out to me. And so, but it was, you know, I just closed the book and went about my day. And I turned the radio on on my commute to work. And uh, Chuck Missler, world-renowned Bible teacher, very deep in his understanding and, and so on, was speaking on, guess what? Acts 4.13. And he was elaborating on how these were just ordinary, common, unlikely men, and they were astonished because they were like Jesus. It was because they had been, t been with Jesus that it was evident that these guys are different. And so, okay, God's kind of got my attention. He's, he's sparking something here. This is not just happenstance. There's something more to this. And so I'm still kind of praying and processing mode. That night, uh, my daughter was about four, and I was reading her a bedtime story, and it was a Max Lucado book. And the, the point of the story was God made you that way for a reason. God gave you the heart that he did to care for others for a reason, and he wants you just the way that you are. And God broke me in that. Okay, okay, I know what you're saying. And it was through those circumstances that God said, I just want you the way you are. I actually want you, I want to glorify myself through you by actually you intentionally not being schooled. And so here I am before you in this opportunity. We have been going through a series for three weeks now talking about uh, unlikely things that God does through unlikely people or unlikely circumstances that God uses mightily to shine and point to him. It's based off of 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31 where uh, God's word says, God uses the shameful things, the lowly things, the humble things to confound the wise, to, in a sense, go, no one can boast before God because he alone gets the credit for what amazing things take place. That's what the series is based out of. Week one, Pastor Scott, as he talked about the unlikely beginnings, used the story of Moses and talking about the struggles that Moses went through in his upbringings he said this, we sometimes allow the lowest parts of our lives to define the rest of our lives. But that's not what God's wanting. That's not what God's wanting. Greater, God is greater, bigger, better, stronger to use those times to help us overcome, know him, press into him, grow. 
Sunday, week two, with the unlikely deliverer talking about Gideon in Judges 6, 13, read this verse and it really stood out to me. It's about Gideon having a conversation with the angel of the Lord and this is what he said. If the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? In other words, it's unlikely that God is actually with us because things have been really hard for us. But God was. God was at work. And God was at work speaking to Gideon and wanting to use him as an unlikely person in unlikely circumstances to bring about some extraordinary things. And then today, or last week, with unlikely qualifications, King David, uh, Pastor Scott again, he said uh, something that was just wonderful. He said, it's someone that will let the king of kings be the king of their heart that God will do a wonderful work with them. Amen? That's how good God is. That's how capable and competent God is. Today, we're going to look at the unlikely overcomer of Daniel. If you want to turn there now, if you're new to the Bible, if you want to go to the middle of your Bible, uh, he is a prophet, so he's grouped together with the other prophets. You have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then you're going to find 12 chapters of the book of Daniel. And we're going to start with uh, verse 1 of chapter 1. We see this story of Daniel that there were a lot of unfaithfulness uh, by kings and leaders in the nation of Israel and Judah, and God sent his people into a very long time out. Seventy years of exile, they were sent away. And it was in this that Daniel and his friends were sent away as they were teenage, uh, teenage young men. And notice a few things here in this story. They are in a foreign land. They're in a foreign land. It's not their home. They also were around the majority of people that did not believe, did not believe in God, hold to the same values that they did with God and who God was and, and who they put their trust in, who they worshiped and how they worshiped. The majority of people did not believe in God. And then also, they lived in the effects of sin. They lived in the brokenness and corrupt world and it was all around them, which is no different than you. You live in a foreign land. You live in a place that is not meant to be your permanent home, and that's on purpose. God wants you and all that will receive him to be with him forever in a place called heaven. Perfect peace, joy, satisfaction, no more worries, no more tears, sorrow, pain, no cancer, right? You live in a foreign land. It's a temporary home, and we're to see it that way. As well, the majority of people around us don't hold to the same view and understanding of saving faith in Jesus Christ. The majority don't. As it's been said, 70% of Seattle and the greater Seattle area dislike Jesus, don't understand Jesus, believe it's unlikely that he is actually real, true, good, powerful, still at work, you're kidding me. The majority of people don't believe that. And you live in a broken world. It's all around us, right? At work, within our homes, families, 
friendships, relationships, where we are. We live in that. So what Daniel was in and what you're in, there's a lot of similarities. Let's look and see how God was still at work in these unlikely circumstances still. Daniel 1, verse 1. Daniel was an unlikely character that God used mightily because he kept his eyes on the prize. Let's see how he did that. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his king un chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel called Belshazzar, Hananiah called Shadrach, Mishael called Meshach, and Azariah called Abednego. We're familiar with those. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The fiery furnace story. And then verse 8. And then verse 8. So here we have God moving kings to and fro, God doing what he's doing. These men being subject to what's happening. It's out of their control. It's out of their circumstances. They just happen to be a part of the people of God. And, and so they're in this cultural culture. They're in these consequences. And then verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the king's wine that he drank. He chose not to participate in some things. Because Daniel was not a thermometer, he was a thermostat. He wasn't a thermometer, he was a, uh, a thermostat, right? Thermometers, they naturally just read the temperature of the environment around and they register what the temperature is, right? They go with the norm of what is taking place. It is 72 degrees in here, right? Nice and comfortable, right? But a thermostat, does that, reads the temperature of its surrounding area, but there's also a set point that it goes along with what is, what is, until there is a point to go, I'm gonna affect what's around me. I'm not going to go along anymore. And in his words, as verse eight says, he chose to not participate in these ways. And the reason he chose was a, a good reason as a Jew because what was the meat that was, he was to eat and the wine that he was to drink were sacrificed to false gods and to demons as the New Testament reveals. And he did not want to participate in the sacrifice that was, of what was given to demons. And so he, in his integrity before his God, 
said, I can go along with this. I can go along with this. I can go along with this. It's not what I want. This is uncomfortable. It's not how I'd have it. But at this point, this is between me and the Lord, and I cannot do this. I will not defile myself in this way. He was a thermostat. He was a thermostat. We see this in several ways in the story of Daniel. As there's 12 chapters, there's a series of stories where he keeps his eyes on the prize. His walk before his God above all things. He continues to keep his integrity before his God. As he was an interpreter of dreams, the king had a dream about a statue made of different materials that was representative of other kingdoms to come and to fall and so on. And Daniel sought God on behalf of the king. And then once he had the answers, he did not take credit for himself. He didn't go, Look at me. Look at how God used me. Look at how wonderful I am, right? Give me the credit. No, he knew exactly where to point. His integrity before his God mattered most, and so he pointed up and said, it was God that did this. It is God alone that does this. He also had the integrity to not shy away from telling significantly hard truths to other kings. He did not soft sell it. He did not downplay it. As he walked before his God, he had to be honest. He had to be honest to the point of telling uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, God is going to humble you like a wild animal. And you're going to go live out among the wild animals. It is not going to go well for you. But I'm going to be true to you. He continued to hold his integrity in chapter 6, and we'll talk about this in detail later. But he disregards the law of the land that was in contradiction of the law of God with significant consequences that he was to face. God's law was greater than man's law, and he held his integrity. So we see in an unlikely circumstance, God was using an unlikely character in a mighty way as he was keeping his eyes on the prize before his God. And then second to that, he honored all that were in position. And I think this is really significant for us. As uh, Americans, we have opinions, don't we? Yeah, we, and we have strong opinions, and it's okay to have opinions, and it's good to have strong opinions, and it's good to have conviction. That's really good. That's really important. But Daniel models for us a way to go about that because we are all under others' authority. And what Daniel does is he honors all that were in position. Let's look back to verse 8 in chapter 1. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head of the king? In other words, that's a lot of words to say no. How many of you like being told no? There's not one hand, right? No, we don't like to be told no. So, verse 11, then Daniel said to the steward, 
right? This is a servant of the chief. To the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. We'll compare them. And, the, and deal with your servants according to what you see. Verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. He goes to the chief, and the chief says, no. No. It's important to see what Daniel did in that, and it's important to see what Daniel did not do. Notice, Daniel did not throw a self-righteous fit. He didn't go up to him, and he didn't and read him his rights. He didn't go up to him and tell him how entitled he was. He didn't go up to him and go, do you know who I am? I am a prophet of God. I am a servant of God. Do you know who's on my side? I can't believe you would tell me no. This is ridiculous. And then he justified, you know, tearing him up. Did you see him do that? No, he didn't do that. And he also wasn't going about it trying to be manipulative, getting what, his way either. He recognized there were other people that were under him too. He was able to go to someone else that he was under the authority of and ask permission again. Give us this little window. Try us in this little way and let's see. Daniel consistently honored all that he was under. He was under three kings during the 40-ish years that he was a part of this uh, reign. He honored all of his kings, and they were pretty rough kings, pagan kings, dangerous men in power. And every single one of them he spoke well of, he spoke well to, he was dignified with, he showed respect, he showed honor. I encourage you to read it. He is a model to follow. He honors all that were in position, and he's not a rug to just be beat down on either. He is honest with them too. He kept his integrity, but he showed honor and respect to those that were in authority. And because of those things, God used him mightily in an unlikely circumstance, in an unlikely way, God used him mightily. And then thirdly, Daniel was used mightily because he refused to see the way his enemies saw things. He refused to see the way his enemies saw things. For that, I want to look to chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 6. He's under a new king now. This is the third king that he's actually been under, King Darius. And there is, God has blessed Daniel. God has honored Daniel. And he has power and he has prominence and he has influence over other people. Many people are under Daniel. And there's a lot of other leaders at that same play too. And they start manipulating and orchestrating a situation uh, that Daniel finds himself in in verse Verse 6 of chapter 6. It says this. Then these high officials and satraps came to agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. They were saying the right things. O King Darius, live forever. That's not really where their hearts were. There were ulterior motives behind the scene. 
all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition, that is, whoever prays to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, except to you, king, shall be cast into a den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, hurry up and sign it before you change your mind. Hurry up and sign it before anything happens. Because his enemies, this is all against Daniel. This is all against Daniel. His enemies saw Daniel as a threat. His enemies saw what Daniel had, and they wanted to go about that by human effort, by human power and human wisdom. Daniel was blessed. Daniel had influence. Daniel had strength. Daniel had opportunity. And they saw that, and it was a threat to them. They were jealous. They were envious. And they wanted to nix him and get him out of the way so that they could have what he had. In other words, they went about trying to get what God gave Daniel in human effort. It's not how it works. If you want God's blessing, you have to go God's way, right? But that's not how they were approaching it. And then verse 10. It's beautiful. Look at this. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chambers open towards Jerusalem. And notice what he did. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave what? Thanks. Gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. For years he had done this. So notice what he did, and notice what he didn't do. His enemies see him as a threat, and so they orchestrate this huge situation to get him to suffer and get him out of the way. But Daniel did not see it that way. What did Daniel do? He went to his heavenly father. He got down on his knees, which is a great position when you don't exactly know what to do. And you look to the one that's in control. And you go, God, I need you. God, I need your help. Because Daniel didn't see it the same way. He knew what they didn't know. God alone is in control, right? God alone is in control. And God can do something about the situation. And even if God does not fix it according to what he would want, Daniel also knew what God had done with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, before they were thrown into the fiery furnace, they made this statement and said, even if God does not rescue us, right, God is still in control. Daniel knew that. He didn't see the way his enemies saw. He knew God alone is in control. God, you have me. And so he went and talked to his heavenly father, heavenly father, I showed you a picture of my family and Maggie and Eli. Eli, he works at a pet resort. It's a little doggy daycare. 
And uh, this last week, he, um, he was having some troubles with, with a fellow coworker, an, an, an adult man that was kind of being intimidating and kind of being scary to him. And, and he was sharing this, uh, these kind of frustrations and concerns with his sister. And his sister, Maggie, said, that's something you should talk to dad about. You, you should tell dad. And so the next day as I was taking him to work, he started opening up and sharing this concern of what was going on and how this was scary and, and, and this wasn't okay. And so I'm listening, I'm caring, I'm concerned. And, uh, and so I'm taking it to heart. We just pulled up, he's on the clock, he had to go. I just said, suit up, show up, work hard. I'll pray for you. And then we'll talk more after work. But, but you know why you're there, work hard and then we'll go from there. Well, picked him up that uh, evening, and uh, he actually had a great day, had a great conversation with the guy. The guy kind of repaired some damage, apologized for being intimidating. Like, it actually went well, which it doesn't always do that. Not promising that, right? It just happened to go well. And, and, I, and I thank God for that, right? I know where that came from. But I tell that story to go, my daughter knew that's something that you need to go talk to your dad about. And the daughter encouraged the son to go talk to their dad about. And then the son went and talked to his dad about it. And then praise God, God was working in that situation, right? Daniel knew where to go with his circumstances. And it was because of these things that Daniel kept his eyes on the prize, his integrity before his God, and he honored all that were in position and he did not see the way his enemies saw that God used Daniel mightily even to move kings to God that he was under. And in the first half of this exile, this 70-year period, Daniel was influential in moving the people back and paving the way for the people to come back to God. In an unlikely way, in an unlikely circumstance, God did this. And in your circumstances, God wants to use you. God's not done yet. He wasn't done then, and he's not done now. So let's look. Let's look and let's see. You are an unlikely character that God wants to use mightily by you, number one, keeping your eyes on the prize. Your God, your creator, your saver, the lover of your souls, your integrity before him. He wants to use you. And it starts with your integrity before your God. So here's the question. What does it look like for you to walk in integrity before your king? What does it look like for you to walk in, in true honesty, in true transparency before your creator when it comes to temptations that you really do face from day to day? What does it look like for you to walk in integrity before your God in what happens between your ears with your thoughts or what you allow into your eyes or your ears to entertain you, to feed you, to stimulate you? What does it look like for you to walk before your God in integrity with your finances, 
as a steward of what God has entrusted to you? What does it look like for you to honor him and walk before him with what he has entrusted to you? What does it look like for you to walk before your God in integrity in your marriage or in your singleness or in your boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance relationship? What does it look like for you to walk before your God with God's daughter or God's son in relationship with them or your singleness? God wants to use you in a mighty way and it starts with your walk before him. Second to that is honoring all in position. Honoring all in position. Every single one of us is under someone's authority somewhere, some way, somehow. There's a lot of authority that exists in the world from presidents to congressmen and women to judges to teachers to spiritual leaders to grandparents to parents. Right? There's a lot of authority that exists in the world. And God, as we follow Daniel's model, he wants us to honor all those that are in position. So the question is this. What does it look like for you to honor, to give honor to those that are in position over you? Yeah, in other words, who is deserving according to your qualifications of giving them honor and showing them respect and showing them dignity? Do they have to meet a certain criteria before you give it? Like, if they're not going to be honorable towards you, you don't honor them. If they're not going to be respectful towards you, you do not respect them. Is that what we see Daniel doing? It's actually the opposite of what we see Daniel doing. It's not set to go, you just honor those that honor you and then, then it'll work out. You can give it back to them. Let's look at the Ten Commandments, right? We have one of the biggest ten is honor your, one of the ten, honor your father and mother. Notice there's not a caveat there. Honor your father and mother as long as they are honorable, right? It, it doesn't work that way. God is saying no. Honor those, show those. So, so what does it look like for you to honor those, show dignity to, show respect to? The opposite of that would be defiant, slanderous, disrespectful, rude, dismissive, careless, aggressive, manipulative. What does it look like for you to honor those? And for many of us, we are in positions of authority. If we are a spiritual leader or we're a parent or we're a grandparent or we're a teacher or whatever it may be, we're a boss, we're an employer, what does it look like for you to be honorable, to walk in integrity, but to be honorable in your position and to lead others in that same way too so you don't make it unnecessarily difficult for them to follow you? But you remove those barriers so it's easy to, and they understand it, and it all points to Jesus. And then lastly this, I'm going to finish up with this, is you are an unlikely character that God wants to use mightily by you not seeing the way your enemy sees. By you not seeing the way your enemy sees. What 
does the enemy of your soul want to tell you that you are? What does the enemy of your soul want to tell you that you are or that you're not? What does the enemy of your soul want to tell you about your circumstances? What does the enemy of your soul want to tell you about other people? Other people maybe you're struggling with or making too important some, whatever your default might be or whatever the relationship is. We can see this, that Daniel by his life would point us to this that we would, in our circumstances, what the enemy wants to breathe, to speak, that he would say, insert this, insert God by faith, hope, and love. Insert God into that equation by faith, hope, and love. What the enemy wants you to believe, wants you to see, wants you to think about your circumstances, wants you to, to try and tie God's hands and saying, he can't do that. God's not good enough. He doesn't see you enough. He doesn't care enough. He's not powerful enough Daniel would say no 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 faith hope and love and we see it by how he lived not what he said and so this is where we go insert God by faith by believing God is at work Jesus's words John 5 17 my father is at work and I too am always working God is at work now just as he was then. He is not done yet. In Romans 8, 28, God promises that he uses all things for your comfort. No, <laughs> right? He doesn't use all things according to your opinion or counsel. No, he promises he uses all things for your ultimate good. God is always at work and he is at work in you and your circumstances and he wants to continue to. And it requires your faith, trusting, following, and hope, hope, holding on to hope because God is a God of the impossible. Luke 1, 37, God is a God of the unlikely. And hope changes everything. God is good, he is strong, he is powerful, he is capable, he sees you, he knows you, he cares. Look to him, believe in him, trust him. And then lastly, love. 1 John 4, 11. God loved you. He loves you. He knows you. He sees you. He knows you by name. He knows your circumstances. And he wants you to see through his eyes. He wants you to see you through his eyes. He wants you to see your circumstances through his eyes. He wants you to see others through his eyes. So what is it for you in your unlikely circumstances, being an unlikely character just like me that God is drawing you to, wanting you to trust him, wanting you to look to him in, wanting you to walk before him in integrity, honor those that are in authority over you, not seeing the way your enemy sees? Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. There's no other book like it. Thank you that you have spoken.
into our situations. Thank you for your spirit that you lead us, guide us, that you empower us. We are not left to ourselves to try and figure it out or do it on our own or do it on our own power or our own strength. And thank you for your church, your design, that we are not meant to do this alone, that we do this with one another. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters here that they would share, they would share what you're doing, what you're leading them to with one another, who they're doing life with, with their families, with their friends, those that are in their life groups, those, those that they serve with, that we would follow you as we seek to be more and more and more like you. We pray these things by the power of the Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pat, so much. Let's give him a hand, you guys. <clears throat> As you know, this is the end of our Unlikely series, but it's not really the end. See, as you know, God used extraordinary, excuse me, ordinary people to do extraordinary things, didn't he? And that's the story that he's still writing. I love that. We are unlikely characters in God's story. That's what Pat said, and, and I believe that. We are unlikely characters, but we know the God of the universe, and he's at work in our lives. And so in this next season, as we finish out the year and even as, as we enter the next year, just ask God, how can you use me in an extraordinary, unlikely way to bring your love and grace to this hurting world?